0: Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, we'll be reading in verse 18 in just a moment, Matthew 18, 18, and the title of this morning's message is The Practice of Praying Together. For the last several weeks, we have studied several lost disciplines of the American church, practices, beliefs disciplines that because we have forgotten what earlier generations understood I believe that we're paying a terrible terrible price as a nation and so we've been examining these this summer we have groups meeting in homes through the summer who are studying these same topics and we pray that God would use it to help us go to a whole new place in our own experience as believers at Win Baptist Church Matthew 18 Verse 18, the practice of praying together. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there, in the midst of them. We're talking this morning about the practice of praying together. Why? The Apostle Paul in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians talks about the fact that you and I are engaged in a great spiritual war a conflict with an unseen enemy and in the face of that he counsels you and I to put on the armor of God. This enemy's attacking your faith, he's attacking your family, he's attacking your church, and we are counseled in that chapter to put on the armor of God. He talks about wrapping your waist with the truth. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. When your heart feels condemned, the enemy wants you to feel condemned, to live with condemnation. And in the face of that, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's a righteousness we rest in The righteousness given to us by Jesus, I'm no longer, there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but there's also a righteousness we pursue, and if I am living in a way that dishonors the Lord, I'm going to feel condemned in my heart. So he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says, wear a readiness to share the gospel just like a pair of shoes. He says, lift up the shield of faith, and there are these fiery darts that attack you and fill you with doubt and rattle you in your walk with God. And he says, lift up the shield of faith. He talks about wrapping salvation around your head like a helmet, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, being on the offensive with the truth in the face of lies. And then once you put on the armor, what do you do next? Listen very carefully to what he says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Just listen. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You put on this armor, you're in this spiritual war, you have an enemy that's attacking you. And what do you do when the armor is on? You pray. What do you pray about? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What about being watchful to this end with all the perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So when you become aware that you're in a spiritual conflict, Paul says that you are, whether you're conscious of it or not. He says, put on the armor of God. He says, and then pray for all the saints. Here's the point. Everyone needs someone praying for them at Win Baptist Church. Everyone needs someone praying for them. Every believer needs at least one other believer who is praying for them. You and I cannot survive the spiritual battle that we are in apart from the practice of praying together. Jim Cimbala describes intercession as touching God with one hand and then touching someone else with the other hand. And when we pray together, we are encouraging and we are strengthening brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's another reason I want to be an advocate for praying together this morning. When our kids were younger, we had, We had six, but when uh, before number six was around, uh, we had the five and sometimes they would leave a mess around the house. Can you imagine that? five kids leaving a mess I know it's a shock, and one day Gail had had enough, and so she took all five of the older ones into the living room and she uh, she had she had some things that were out of order in the living room and um I think there were three things total, but she had several things that were just out of order. And she asked them to figure out, what's out of order? What's wrong with this picture? And so all five were standing there, you know, looking, trying to figure out what's out of order. And, um, and of course, the lesson that they discovered was she said to them, "Uh, there were three things out of order. Imagine if all five of you just put three things out of order. That's 15 things out of order. So what is the the lesson from that? Well, it makes a big difference if one person versus two people versus five people versus ten people do something. And that's not only true in the living room of a house with five kids. That's also true in a church that when people come together to pray, we can expect something remarkable to take place. In fact, here's a statement that I want to build this message around. There are some things God is ready to do that he chooses not to do until his people pray together. Imagine that. Things that God is about to do, wants to do, ready to do, but will not do until his people pray together. You and I are a privileged generation. You may not realize that. You may not always think that, but we are living right now in one of the most economically depressed, and I believe spiritually or demonically oppressed regions of the United States. The Mississippi Delta region has among the greatest levels of poverty, and for over 150 years, hardly a dent has been made spiritually into that population. God has called us to do battle for souls and to raise up an army of disciples in the Delta for Jesus Christ. Are you ready for God to work among us? Do you have a heart for that? Are you satisfied with where you are in your walk with God? Are you satisfied with where the churches are that you know and that are around us? When God's people are ready for a work of God, what did Jesus teach us to do next? God's ready, we're ready, what do we do next? First, come together. Come together. In, um, in verse 18, he says, uh, in verse 19, he says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth. And he just says, if two of you. Look at that phrase. If two of you. To get the full impact of what Jesus is saying, we've got to look at verse 18. So, and, and let me set this up this way. The context for this teaching of this passage of scripture is this Jesus is teaching about church discipline he says if a brother sins against you he says go and tell him his fault and if he listens to you, you've gained your brother but if he won't he says go again, don't give up on him Uh, don't just cut him off, take two or three more and go And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But then if he won't listen to the two or three, he says, go and tell it to the church. And if he won't listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Let him be excluded. Let him not be part of the fellowship. Now, in that context, listen to what Jesus does because he's trying to explain the principle underlying church discipline, but he's also teaching us the principle underlying praying together and deliverance. Listen to verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth. Now stop right there. Whatever you bind on earth talks about a point in time where the church makes a decision, makes a call, determines to do something or go in a particular direction. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And the text puts great stress on the fact that we're doing something on earth and something else is happening in heaven. We bind something on earth, and then he says it will be bound in heaven. Now, let me, let me lift the hood for just a moment on the grammar that is being used there. When it talks about what's being done in heaven, it's talking about something that's in the perfect tense. We don't think about the tenses that we use when we speak English. We have a present tense, past tense, future tense. But there is, in the language that Jesus was speaking, a perfect tense. And the perfect tense describes action that is already complete. It's been completed at some time in the past. And the consequence of that action in the past that's already complete continues to affect the present. Perfect tense. And he says this. What you decide as a church, what you bind on earth, will have already been bound in heaven. And he goes on and he says, and whatever you loose on earth, that moment of loosing on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. This is breathtaking because it captures the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and dumps them in the two verses. He's describing the fact that you and I act as best we know, and then as we act, whether it's binding or loosing, What we are entering into and what we discover is that God has already acted in that same way. God has plans. God has purposes. God has things that he is ready to do in your life. God has things that he's ready to do in and through Wynn Baptist Church. God has things that he is ready to do in the Delta of Arkansas, and he has been ready to do it for decades But he will not do it until someone acts on earth and reaches for what God is prepared to do in heaven. How does the decree of heaven get worked out on earth? God's already at work, already has a plan. How does that get worked out on earth? Well, in verse 19, he begins to explain it. He says, if two of you. He didn't say if all of you. Two's enough. But he says if two of you. God has a plan, it's a done deal, it's waiting for us, but he says, if two of you come together. So God has all he needs to do something on earth that he's already willed in heaven, but he's waiting on two of us to come together. Number two, if we're ready for work of God, Jesus is teaching that we need to come together, but secondly, he's saying we need to agree together. If two of you will agree on earth concerning anything. Now, Jesus, when he uses this word agree, he uses a, a Greek word, symphineo, and it sounds like, and in fact, we get the word symphony from it. That's what the word agree is. If two of you will symphony together, <laughs> will agree together. And so think about that for just a moment, because that's, that's the analogy that he's using. When, when you and I go to hear an orchestra, and before they start, before they begin, and they're all... They're all fiddling with their instruments and tuning up. You know what I'm talking about. Some of them are blowing a horn. And somebody over here is doing something on the string. And everybody's doing their own thing at once. And and it's like a noise, isn't it, Tanner? Just like a noise. And it's discordant and it's disturbing, right? And um, it doesn't sound so hot. And then the conductor raises his baton and they stop. That was good. Silence is good at that point. But then he begins to direct the symphony and as he directs the symphony all of a sudden those discordant notes go away and suddenly they come together in harmony and that is what Jesus is saying it's not just enough to come together and pray we need to agree together and we are waiting for him to guide us into agreement to pray without agreement is like a screeching noise to heaven. And so God has called us to do that. Now we can solve this disharmony by agreeing with others in terms of what we're going to pray about. And so if it's just you and one other person or you and two or three other people, there are ways that you can come to agreement regarding what God wants to do or what God is about to do and what he's leading you all to pray together. And you say, well, how do you do that, Pastor? Well, one of the greatest resources you have is the scripture, the word of God. And God has given so much on this side of heaven that you and I need to know everything we need to know on this side of heaven that he wants us to know that's absolutely true. He has given to us in his word. And if you and I come together and we're trying to understand what is it that God wants to do in this situation, one of the greatest resources we have is the scripture. In fact, it's your greatest resource when you pray by yourself too is to find that promise, find that clear direction, find that clear teaching to help you understand the will of God. Let me tell you another way that you can come to agreement when you pray together. Wait before the Lord together. You say, well, that sounds kind of odd. Well, try it. There are times where in praying with one or two or three other people, you might just say, hey, let's just wait before the Lord. See what God brings to mind. We're going to ask him to guide us. and wait on him. He's present. He's perfectly capable of speaking to you and me. Uh, When you pray by yourself, you should have already learned to do that. You should develop the practice of listening to the Lord, waiting on the Lord. It's taught all throughout Scripture. And so you can wait on the Lord together. Let me tell you a third way that you can determine uh, agreement together. Pray separately and then come back together. Say, um, say before we pray on this particular matter let's take some time to pray about it separately and then come back together and I'm sure you're probably more familiar with that I know that when Gail and I determined that God was leading us to come to win we prayed about it separately and then came back together to see what is God saying but the goal is agreement so we're to come together and then we're to agree together and then if we want to see god work the third thing that's in the text is we need to ask together we need to ask together i say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask now no one told me to do it but when i was in college i started praying with the guys that i lived with in the house that we lived in and after college we we moved all the way to the west Coast. And there were a group of guys I prayed with twice a week before work, early. Oh, it was terribly early. And we, but we would get together, and we'd pray together twice a week. And we saw God do things. But we, we saw God do even more in our own hearts. We moved to another place. I was by vocational. I was working a full-time job, serving a church part-time, hardly had any time to breathe. And there was a group of guys, three guys I met with once a week, Thursday mornings before work. We had breakfast together in one guy's house, and then we would pray together. When I went to our publishing house, Southern Baptist, Lifeway Christian Resources, uh, we lived in different parts of Nashville, the guys that I worked with, but we would meet together once a week. Instead of eating lunch, we would meet and we would simply pray during the lunch hour. And then for 10 years at the, the Baptist building in Little Rock, I had a group of guys we prayed together on Thursday mornings before work. And I am absolutely blessed to pastor a church where there are people here that understand that and do that each week, that pray together, that understand the importance of that. And you know what happens when we, when we pray together like that? Not only does God do the big things out there where he changes the world and he, he does incredible things in answer to prayer when people pray together, but you know he does a marvelous thing with the people themselves who pray together it has an effect on them. I remember one time uh, when I was bivocational, uh, there was a guy in the workplace that that I would pray with on occasion. I remember one day in particular I was out in the field and I was working on a piece of equipment and um, I was sick and it was cold and it was raining and this one guy just came by to check on me to see how I was doing. and I couldn't go home. I was the only one that could do that particular task. I needed to be there. I needed to be working on that that particular project. And he comes by and says, Don, how are you doing? I said, I am sick and tired. <laughs> sick and tired. He said, brother, let me pray for you. And he got down next to me, he put his hand on me, and began to pray. Now, I'd like to tell you, I was instantly healed. But I wasn't. I was still sick when he got through praying. And it was still cold. And I still had a job to do. But I tell you what, I felt like a thousand tons had been lifted off my shoulders. And, um, and I was able to, to survive that particular experience. And how many times that happened? Just this week, I was praying with a, a pastor. And uh, and I still get calls from pastors. And, and uh, this one particular pastor, we just prayed together. And went into that, that prayer time tired and, um, and just feeling weighted down. And then as he prayed for me and I prayed for him, uh, both of us walked away from that with a sense that we were encouraged, that we were strengthened, that our faith was made stronger, that we were given a shot of hope. And so God does something when we pray together, when the pastors call, and they are uh, discouraged, and they still call. And they'll say, Don, I'm just ready to quit. I've had enough. And um, there are days, they, this a pastor will experience so much difficulty, so much adversity. That he just wants to quit. And invariably in those conversations, I'll, I'll check with them on a couple of things. When they're that discouraged that they're ready to quit, I'll say, first of all, talk to me about your fellowship with the Lord. Are you in fellowship with him? Are you spending time alone with him? Because that is probably the, the greatest resource that, that affects whether you're encouraged or discouraged is your own fellowship with him. And uh, the second thing I always ask is do you pray with a group of guys not as a pastor but just as a guy and those guys love you and they pray for you and they hold you up. And you know what? When the guys are really discouraged the answer to that question is always no. Always no. And it's a short distance between discouragement and spiritual disaster. I've had the unfortunate opportunity of talking to guys in ministry who have blown it and who have had absolute moral failure in their lives and in talking with them and asking them when did it begin to go wrong because these were men who at one time had been gifted had been godly had loved the Lord had given their lives to him had been following him what happened when you failed? and he said months before I failed I stopped spending time alone with the Lord the Bible I just used it to get lessons ready sermons ready you say can a preacher do that? You bet. And that discouragement that comes from that lack of fellowship with the Lord can so quickly become a disaster spiritually. And you know, if that's true of a pastor, what do you think? How true that is of you and your heart. How quickly you can spiral into a day, into a time where you're saying things and doing things that as you look at it, you're absolutely ashamed and appalled that you ever said and did those things. Trace it. Trace it. Where did it go? And so one of the great things that happens when you and I pray together is that we encourage each other. We lift up the the feeble arms. We strengthen the weak knees. We We enable each other to carry on in the spiritual battle and the war that's taking place. You and I desperately need to pray with someone. Are you discouraged? Are you ready to quit? Is your faith being troubled? Are you hurting? Are you weighted down? Who's praying for you? Who's praying with you? Ask God to give you a prayer partner or a prayer group. If you don't, think you can find someone, you, you want to find a group, come see me. We've got groups that meet during the week. Uh, we've got a group that meets here the first and third Thursday nights of each month. Come to that meeting. We pray for the people who need to be prayed for in that meeting also. But ask God to give you a prayer partner or a prayer group. So Jesus encourages us to come together, to agree together, to ask together, and then Jesus tells us to believe together. To believe together. And you say, um, again at verse 19, he says, I say to you, if, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, listen to this, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Look at those words. It will be done. It will be done. That's something you've got to trust God for. When you come together to pray together, there's got to be an expectation. God's about to do something. God is going to work. And you know, one of the ways the Father, He loves you so much. You are His child. You are precious to Him. And one of the ways that God shows His love to His children is by the blessings that He gives to us when we pray. Not only encourage, but the actual answers to prayers themselves. And so God loves you and He wants. bless you so what are we trusting God for when we pray I believe verse 20 helps us in understanding that verse verse um, 18 we saw that he says if you bind something on earth as a church you come together you make this decision it has already been done in heaven and then he says um, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them. So, so he's taking the concept of binding and loosing, and now he's explaining, what is this binding and loosing? Well, it's when two or three people agree. It's when two or three people agree, and it's when two or three people agree and ask, and it will be done. But if we're going to understand what we're trusting God for, you've got to get into verse 20. He says, for where two or three, he's just elaborating on verse 19, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. What are we trusting him for? First, that the Father will draw and burden his people to pray together. That the Father would draw and burden his people to pray together. I really, if I had uh, my Bible right now, my, my uh, Bible that I use when I'm sitting and listening or my quiet time, those words gathered together, I would underline them or circle them or put them in parentheses or something. Because he's telling you something that's absolutely astounding. Because when you and I come together to pray, we say, okay, we heard the preacher. I guess we ought to pray together. So let's say Stanley Colvin and I decide to pray together. And, um, and we're going we're gonna to get together and we're going to pray. And so Stanley says, uh, I can't do it on, on Tuesday, so we're going to meet on Wednesday mornings at um, 530. <gasps> yeah. So we're going to meet 530 on Wednesday mornings. So Stanley and I make this decision. We talk about it, and we're going to start praying together. Wednesday mornings at five thirty. Now as far as he can tell and as far as I can tell we've just simply made a decision to get together and pray. But what does verse 20 tell us? He says well two or three are gathered together. That's passive. Guess who did the gathering? You see we made a choice to get together but, but what we discover is that when you lift the hood and you pull back the, the veil, the thin veil between heaven and earth, between the unseen and the seen, what's really been going on is that God brought us together. We were gathered, passive. It was done to us. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I. So he's telling us it's no accident when two or three people get together and decide they're going to start praying together. So don't ever worry about the size of your prayer group. If it's just you and one other person, big enough. If y'all have decided to come together and agree and ask and believe, God did that. God did that. That doesn't happen just by accident. God is at work. And you can also trust that when God gathers a couple people or three people or five people together to pray, that God is about to do something through the prayers of that group. And you've got to trust him to do that trust that he's going to draw and burden his people to pray together secondly you need to trust that he will guide his people into praying his will trust that he will guide his people into praying his will he says gather together in my name not not don's name not stanley's name or somebody else's name but we're gathered in his name what does that mean well we're gathered for the purpose of doing what he wants us to do uh, I think the Apostle John uh, has two of the greatest verses in his writings about how you and I learn to pray his will. 1 John 5.14 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so let that verse forever stand in your mind in opposition to the idea that you can simply tell God what you want and he'll do it. It's not about what you want. It's about what he intends to do. It's about his purposes. It's about his plans. And so it's incumbent on you and me, even when I'm praying by myself, to set my heart to discover what is the will of God in this matter. Lord, how do you want me to pray for my wife today? How do you want me to pray for my kids today? How do you want me to pray for the pastors that I serve with today? How do you want me to pray for your church today? And then to wait and seek and long for direction for him. And some days, don't necessarily hear anything. Other days, he very clearly brings things to mind to pray for and about. Well, he does that with us as a group. When we pray together, we can trust him to guide us into his will. And as you and I pray together and we discover what it is that God wants to do, that's where we need to go. There's another great verse that John records in John 15, verses 7 and 8. He says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You know, this verse gets misused because people tend to focus only on one part of the verse, the part they like. Ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Wow. Wow. Sounds like a blank check, doesn't it? God just handed you a blank check, except there's two conditions on this, in there? You see the conditions? If you abide in me, what's he saying? If you abide in me means if you're having fellowship with me, you're walking with me, you love me, you spend time with me, you wanna be with me. If you abide in me, and then my word, my word, if it abides in you, he didn't say if it abides between the covers of your Bible, he said, if my word saturates your mind, if it lives in you, it becomes part of your thinking, the way you make decisions, the way you go about your day involves my word. If you abide in me, have fellowship with me continually, and, you abide, and my word abides in you, you let my, my word color your decisions, color your thinking processes, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. Why? Because if a guy or gal is walking with the Lord like that, if you're in fellowship with him, and his word is coloring your thought processes, and you're in his word, and you're letting it speak to you, and teach you, and grow you, guess what happens to your desires? You can, you can guess. Someone who loves Jesus like that, someone who's walking with the Lord, what happens? Your desires begin to line up with the desires of Jesus. And as your heart begins to beat with his heart, well, you can certainly ask what you desire, because you're wanting the same things that Jesus wants. So how can I discover his will? Well, it's a whole lifestyle, isn't it? It's not just finding a particular verse. It's a walk. It's a communion. It's a fellowship with him through his word. So what's the fruit? Look at the rest of this. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified. Now, go back to the end of verse 7 again. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this. What is this? The part that was just done. The answered prayer is this. He says, by this, this answered prayer, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. What's the fruit? The fruit is answered prayer. You and I pray and God answers. By this, he's glorified. Attention is brought to him. He is exalted. He is honored. So God is glorified when we pray and he answers. You know, so many, so much of the time, I don't know what you're thinking because we don't, we don't do talk back here on Sunday morning, although we could try it sometime. But I think sometimes you hear a pastor up here or a preacher and you think, well, I can't talk like that. I can't talk in front of people like that. And then you go to Sunday school, or Bible study, 242 group, whatever, and you, you listen to the discussion and you think, man, I can't facilitate a group like that. I, I can't lead a discussion. I can't teach the Bible in Sunday school like that person can. And then you, you see musicians and you see soloists and stuff on the platform. You say, man, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even sing. Don't even ask me to sing. And, and you look at people doing different things in ministry and you keep looking and you say, you know, I, I just can't do those things. But you know what you can do that brings glory to God? You can pray. And when he answers your prayer, that brings glory to God. How many of us can pray? How many of us here can pray? All of us can pray. Everybody here has the capacity to bring glory to God through your prayer life, through your prayer life. Well, there's a third thing that we need to trust the Lord for, and that's this, that when Jesus is present, all of Jesus is present. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, what's he say? I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. Now, Jesus, at the moment he spoke this, has not yet died on the cross. He's not yet been buried. He's not been raised from the grave. He's not walking through the walls and the stuff that happened after the resurrection. He's not doing any of those things. And he says that when two or three are gathered in my name, he says, there I am. Not there I will be, but right now, there I am in the midst of them. What if I could promise you that that you can encounter the presence of God today? And you would say, I'd like to be there. I'd like to be a part of that. What if I told you that all you've got to do is get with two or three people, come together, agree, ask, and trust him to come? And he says, I'll come. And because of his presence, you and I can be assured that we're not going to go off into something weird. We're not going to go miss the the mark in what God has for us. And he's going to guide us in our praying. And will we have things to learn? Will we grow in this learning of praying together? Well, sure, we grow. Growth is part of our, our journey as believers. We don't arrive perfectly mature. But we have the assurance that when you and I pray together, we'll be encouraged. He will answer our prayers, but he is present, and he's going to be our guide in this journey of praying together. Is anything impossible when Jesus is present? Is there anything that he can't do when he shows up? That's where you and I need to carry a real big expectation when we pray together. It's no accident when it happens. He's at work. He's about to do something. Well, there's some things that God is ready to do, and he's not going to do them until you as an individual decide to pray. And so we have talked and taught here this spring and up even into the summer. We've talked about individual prayer life and, and how important it is to ask and to seek the Lord. There's things he wants to do he's not going to do until you pray as an individual. But there are also things that he wants to do that he will not do until we pray together as individual Christians coming together. Two people, three people, five people, whole church. We're going to have a time of response here in just a moment. And how has the Lord spoken to you about your prayer life? There are people that could be so encouraged if you would just take a moment, maybe give them a call, or just slide up next to them, put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them. And even in this time of response, in just a moment, if you're near someone that you know needs to be encouraged with prayer, Instead of coming down to the front, and I want to encourage you to come down the front if God leads you to, and use these altar steps as a place to pray. And I'll pray with you if you need someone to pray for you. But if you know that you're sitting near someone on the balcony or down here on the floor, and you know that there's someone that needs prayer, and, and God's put that person on your heart, when we, when we have this invitation time in just a moment, could I just encourage you to slide up next to them, get out of your pool, go over next to them. Just put your hand up, pray for them right now. Don't wait. Just saddle up next to them. Say, brother, I'm going to pray for you. You don't have to say a word. Let me pray for you. Do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus? He's alive. He is real. He changed my life. He changed the lives of many of you sitting here. But if you're here this morning and he hasn't changed your life, I want you to know that receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is very simple. It is not complex. It is not hard. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself good enough for God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Everything necessary to bring you into a place of forgiveness, to bring you into a relationship with God, has already been accomplished for you by Jesus. And because God loved you, He sent Jesus to die for you on the cross. But he didn't die on the cross just so that you would start coming to church at Win Baptist. He died on the cross so that your life would be changed, so that you would become a follower, so that you would become a Christ follower, a disciple of his. And so if you're prepared to say, Lord, here I am. Forgive me for my sin. Wash me clean. I give you my life and for the rest of my days, I'm going to let you be my Lord, and I'm going to follow you let you change me from the inside out. If that's your desire today, when we stand and sing, I encourage you in the balcony or on the floor, come. We're short-staffed today, so I know there's some deacons sitting here. They can come and help me as well if we have too many, but I'm here. I'll pray with you. I'll share scripture with you about how a person can be saved. You can leave here today with a new heart, new beginning, new life, and I invite you to come. And then church... Would you pray for one another? What's God saying to you about your prayer life? And maybe it's something you need to do right now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power, its clarity. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who is present right now, speaking to individuals, calling, encouraging, drawing. We pray that your spirit would have his way among us this morning and that we would be a people of the spirit receptive and responsive to you. So guide us, Father, in these moments. If there's someone we need to go and pray for, Lord, we want to say yes and be sensitive and responsive to that in these moments. If, If someone here needs to talk to me or some other counselor down front, or they just need someone to pray for them, Lord, I pray you would strengthen their heart to act on what they know they need to do. As you lead us, as you guide us, we welcome you here. We are simply your people. We're trusting you to speak and to move our hearts. In Christ's name we ask you, amen.